0: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Updates on the weekend's bombing and knife attacks against U.S. targets in Minnesota, New York, and New Jersey. Fancy Bear doxes more athletes from the WADA networks. Fancy's also still interested in U.S. elections, and experts point out that releasing genuine emails could be battle space preparations for online disinformation operations. In industry news, Oracle buys Palera, and major tech companies form a vendor security alliance. Reactions to the prospect of a Snowden pardon, and an insider gives his take on Snowden, the movie. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, September 19, 2016. The weekend saw several physical attacks across the United States with fewer injuries than might have been feared and with no fatalities reported save some among the attackers. The incidents which remain under investigation include stabbings in Minnesota and a series of apparent bombings, both successful and attempted in New York City and New Jersey. They're particularly affecting travel in the northeastern corridor of the U.S., as one of the explosive devices was found at a rail station in Elizabeth, New Jersey, just south and west of New York City. ISIS sympathizers, both in casual social media conversation and in ISIS's more official channels, have been quick to applaud the attacks online, praising soldiers of jihad and to urge others to follow their example. As is usually the case, signs point to inspiration and local collaboration, as opposed to central direction of the attacks. Police have taken at least one bombing suspect into custody, one Ahmad Khan Rahami, and they're in the process of moving in on a suspected terror cell in New Jersey. It would be pleasing to report that cyber investigation and alert online policing revealed the plots and saved lives, but in this case, no, we don't yet have any information to that effect. A bomb in Seaside Park, New Jersey went off without injuring anyone because the charity race it apparently targeted started late. The devices in New York City were either poorly fabricated or poorly placed. They were similar to the bomb used at the Boston Marathon. One bomb in New York was accidentally found and inactivated by thieves as they tried to steal the bag it was concealed in. Crooks and Elizabeth also found the bomb near the rail trestle, but the New Jersey thieves had the decency to call police. One set of three apparently connected cyber incidents is also under investigation by police in Dearborn, Michigan. ISIS sympathizers defaced three Michigan Arab American organizations' websites late last week. The hackers were apparently distressed by the organization's lack of zeal for jihad and sought by the defacements to inspire the group's members to acts of jihad. The affected organizations were not moved by the appeal. Fancy Bear has released more documents it hacked from the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA. This tranche affects more non-U.S., prominently Australian, athletes. Fancy Bear's interest in U.S. elections also continues unabated. Few dissent from the consensus that Fancy Bear is run by Russian intelligence services. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security offers various forms of security support to state elections officials. Acceptance is voluntary. Elections won't be federalized. Concerns center around the discrediting effects of disruption and disinformation. Information operations are more feared than data corruption in the service of direct vote fraud, although that's a concern too. The recent doxing campaigns may also be serving as battle space preparation. As we heard last Thursday from former White House cybersecurity advisor Richard Clark at Invincia's Beat the Breach event, even if initially leaked emails are genuine, there's no reason to expect the next tranche will be. And this is the sort of disinformation informed election security observers worry about. Turning with relief to patch news, we hear that Mozilla is expected to patch a Firefox zero-day tomorrow. The flaw rendered users susceptible to man-in-the-middle attacks. It's also attracted much unfavorable comment in the vulnerability researcher Twitterverse, who have been excoriating Mozilla for letting it happen. In industry news, Uber, Twitter, and other tech-dependent companies have formed the Vendor Security Alliance, which intends to drive better standards for security products. The VSA, as it will be known, will vet and rate security products that the alliance members consider for adoption. In M&A news, Oracle has acquired cloud security shop Palera, and healthcare and biomedical security firm Protenus has received the privacy industry's top honor, the 2016 HPE IAPP Privacy Innovation Award. Other winners have included IBM and Microsoft. So bravo, Proteus, you're in distinguished company. Edward Snowden says he's not really asked for a presidential pardon, but he thanks his supporters for doing so on his behalf. It's also pretty clear he thinks he'd be a good candidate for executive clemency. The House Permanent Select Committee strongly disagrees, as we said last week, and over the weekend, dueling editorials and op-eds took up the pro-pardon and anti-pardon causes. Those for the pardon see Snowden as having made an indispensable contribution to the cause of privacy and civil liberties, generally by drawing attention to U.S. surveillance policy and capabilities. Those opposed to the pardon asked who benefited, and answer essentially, Russia, as they point out that most of what Snowden revealed were legitimate intelligence operations against foreign targets. They also argue that the NSA was shown to have been operating under appropriate legislative authorization with executive and judicial oversight, which they think cast doubt on Snowden's oath to the Constitution explanation. Oliver Stone's film Snowden, a dramatization of actual events, as they say, comes in for some quiet criticism by retired NSA deputy director Chris Inglis, who told National Public Radio that the deputy director depicted but not named in the flick would have been himself. And he never met Snowden, and certainly never directly gave him the sensitive, highly important, Jason Bourne-like intelligence job the movie shows him entrusting to Mr. Snowden. Snowden, he points out gently, was a systems administrator working for a contractor, doing an important job requiring considerable skill, but he was a low-level employee. Inglis also offered some apt genre criticism of the film's claim to be a dramatization of actual events. Inglis told NPR, quote, Dramatization to me means you add the occasional exclamation point. You bring in a musician to perhaps add some background music, but you don't tell a story that is fiction, end quote. Finally, here's some legal news that involves no fiction. Laurie Love, the British gentleman accused of hacking U.S. defense networks, will, it seems, face the music in a U.S. federal court. A U.K. court has just ordered him extradited across the pond. And now, a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and zero trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their Sassy journey, visit netscope.com. Joining me is Malek Ben Salem. She's the R and D manager at Accenture Technology Labs. Uh, Malek, I know there at Accenture, you recently published a framework uh, regarding the security for the Industrial Internet of Things. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, the Industrial Internet of Things, as you know, introduces various operational technology architectures. Uh, whether it's healthcare, manufacturing, transportation, or energy production, all of these industries have different architectures. So uh, at Accenture Labs, as we deal with clients from various industries, we developed a framework for security for these industrial Internet of Things domains. And what we focused on is what are the, the common themes uh, around these architectures and what are the differences between, uh, between these domains. Uh, one thing we looked at is, is the edge tier which we think has to be self-organizing and self Uh today we see some solutions security solutions at the edge uh, that provide some uh, capabilities some security functionalities but there is still a gap in protecting all the devices at the edge for example you know many of these solutions are not vendor agnostic So, when you deploy them, you have to make a lot of customization for that particular uh, industry domain. Uh, What we're looking at in our framework is find mechanisms to detect and prevent uh, physical or remote tampering with edge devices, regardless of what the device is. That's one, one key security capability that we think is important. Mm. Uh, another security capability um, that we looked at also is a distributed intrusion detection mechanism that can optimally assign uh, security functions to the resource-constrained devices at the edge. So some some mechanism that augments that edge layer uh, with additional security capabilities, whether it's an additional device that is not constrained in terms of its res- uh, storage and compute capabilities, or whether it's a gateway at the edge that is responsible for augmenting the security capabilities of the edge devices underneath.
0: Are, are we starting to see the development of, of these sorts of standards with IoT devices, or, or is it still pretty much the Wild West out there?
1: Uh, I think... We're starting to see that. and NIST has a uh, working group that's working on a uh, cybersecurity framework, and they've published several drafts of their of their framework.
0: All right, Malik Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program.